It took three times of him introducing me to realize that he didn't say anything about my great cooking. <laughs> huh. Anyway, hello everybody. I'm really glad to be here with you today. And honestly, having just been here last night and today, I love what's going on around River Glen. Do you? I mean, this Pewaukee campus is starting soon, and there's so much excitement around that. You've got an online campus. Hello to both of those groups. And in the hallways, there's just energy. In, the most fun for me while I was standing over there this morning during the worship time was watching this group of people. I don't even know who you are, but, but you look like a lot of fun. <clears throat> Welcome, everybody, today. We're glad that you're here. If you've been around River Glen at all this summer, you've been hearing about some incredible people. We might even call them superheroes, except that as we learned their stories, we found out they were ordinary people like you and me. But they did something special. They used their superpower to, in their own personal battles of faith versus fear. So, what's your superpower? What's in your back pocket that you can pull out when the odds are stacked against you? Think about it. And while you're thinking, I'll tell you about a superpower that I clearly do not possess. I cannot walk through a plate glass window unharmed. Nope. Not even on the first Sunday of a promising new year. Not even if the sun is shining optimistically bright. And not even if I am walking with such confidence as though I'm walking through a wide open door, which is exactly what I thought I was doing, of course, at that moment. At, upon impact, two things happen simultaneously, pain and embarrassment. Not just to me. All the people around me who witnessed this, they all took a deep breath, like, <gasps> you know. And so, for some reason, I felt a need to make them all more comfortable. And so, you know, you start saying stupid things like this. Oh, <laughs> did you just see that? Did I just try and walk through that window? Oh my goodness. Wow. That, I'm holding my nose the whole time. That is one shiny window. Whoever cleaned it, kudos. Good job to you. Oh my goodness. Ooh, my nose <laughs> really hurts. Could I have broken my nose? Wouldn't that be crazy on a Sunday morning? <laughs> Brand new year. Oh my goodness. Oh, there's blood. I mean, it just went on and on. <clears throat> not one of my finer moments. Well, you may not claim a superpower, and honestly, neither do I, except for one thing. Our Creator has given each of us an incredible power, the free will to choose faith over fear. If you were here last week, you heard that choosing faith changes things, and I totally agree. One of the things that we want to change in our lives is this grip of fear. There have been times for me when fear and anxiety have just driven right up to my front door and dropped a truckload of totally unexpected fear. Has that ever happened to you? At those times, it is wonderful to be able to turn to a Christian friend or a hero of faith. And this summer, we've been spending time with some of those mentors listed in the book of Hebrews. They're Old Testament characters who are real-life people who use their superpower to overcome fear with faith. There was Abram. You heard about him. He faced down his fear of the unknown by taking one step and then another by faith. Joseph. Joseph. 
He stood up to the fear of false accusation and chose to do the right thing by faith. And last week, we talked about Rahab. When her entire community was melting with fear because of the Israelites' God, not Rahab, she hid the spies, she hung the cord, and she became part of the lineage of Jesus because she chose faith over fear. If those stories don't sound familiar to you, if you don't know about those, go to the River Glen website, catch up on the series from this summer, and you will be encouraged in your faith. Well, the Hebrews writer, in chapter 11, he realizes he's getting a little long-winded, and, and he's running out of time, and so he just starts listing more names, people for us to look up and find out about their faith, and the top of the list is a guy named Gideon. So we're going to look at him today. Gideon started out as a farmer, but he rose to become a judge over God's people, but not without a struggle with fear. And so what we're going to look at is how Gideon overcame that fear with faith. What was the process? We need to find out. First of all, let's get you in on the conversation. Okay. There's a, a PhD, an author, his name is Dr. Robert Leahy. He cites research saying that we live in an age that is under more stress than ever before. Sorry to break that to you, young people. And we, each one of us has, more, ha, has the experience of fear and anxiety, every single person in this room, to some degree. What is it you fear? What is the thing that keeps you awake at night or just circles through your mind all day long? Is it hard for you to just go into work because of that stress? Or maybe it's a health challenge for you or a family member. Maybe you have a relationship in your life that is just ongoing challenging. But there are people in this room who probably live in a constant state of fight or flight because of a past trauma or abuse. And there are others who may have been diagnosed with anxiety disorder. That diagnosis is on the rise. And wherever you are on this spectrum, I just want to pray about our fear as we open God's word. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are so good to know what our needs are. And today, as we were singing, there is no shadow you won't light up. There's no mountain you won't climb up. There's no wall you won't kick down or lie you won't tear down concerning our fear. God, your word is living and active. This is where we come to find out how to overcome those fears. And I know that there are, there are people in this room who need to hear this today. Please speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. I love that the Word of God is so practical, and we're going to get practical with the help of Gideon today. If you have your Bible or a Bible app, turn to, to Josh, Judges chapter 6, and we'll find Gideon's story there. And as you've heard, he started out as a farm boy. He was living in the time after God's people had conquered the promised land. They were, they were living there for about 200 years by this time. And his generation had forgotten all the wonderful things that God had done to bring his people into the promised land. In fact, they were in a, a really bad cycle that I call the four D's of judges. First of all, disobedience. They had actually turned to the false gods of the people all around them. 
That made their father very unhappy, and so he disciplined them by sending plunderers to, sh to teach them a lesson. Well, under that kind of distress, they would cry out to the Lord, and he would deliver them with a judge. And each time a judge ruled, the people would follow after God. But when the judge passed away, the cycle would start all over again. And that's where we find ourselves in Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. This time, when the Israelites disobey, God sends the Midianites for seven years. Seven years, the Israelites can't catch a break. Every time they plant their crops and the crops start to grow up, the Midianites swoop down and destroy them because their whole strategy is intimidation. Apparently, when you live in the desert your entire life, you get mean. I mean, think about it. On a really hot day, all you want is some shade. Every day is a hot day, and there's no shade. And at the end of those hot days, you can't go in your house and turn on the shower and rinse off with a nice, cool shower. And worst of all, you can't go to your fridge and get some ice out of the ice maker. So you're mean. And in addition to that, the Midianites use camels. And camels, as I googled, apparently can be very mean as well. They're intimidating, they're large, but they have a little bit of attitude. And camels like to spit at people. So when it says in verse 6 of chapter 6 that the Midianites would arrive in hordes, both they and their camels, and they came to devastate the land, it's no wonder that the Israelites were, were running and hiding anywhere they could find. It says they hid in dens and caves. They were shaking in their boots. Thankfully, God doesn't leave us in our misery even when we bring it on ourselves like these guys did. And in verse 11, we'll find out what happens. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, there are a few strange but true facts there as we're meeting Gideon. First of all, an angel from heaven comes down and makes himself comfortable under an oak tree just so he can watch this guy. In the meantime, Gideon's working up a sweat in the wine press because he's trying to thresh wheat there. And threshing wheat requires air. It requires wind to drive the chaff away. He's using the wrong equipment to accomplish his job. Have you ever done that? Take a look at the screen. What's wrong with this picture? What's the wrong equipment? Not duct tape, no. The fact that it's gold duct tape instead of silver duct tape. I mean, come on, it doesn't even match. What about this one? Well, everybody knows that you, you're not supposed to stand on the top step, right? Because that is dangerous. But we have to give these guys a little bit of credit for some ingenuity. And Gideon, too, because he's trying to do something to survive here when everybody else is hiding. And maybe that's why this stranger is pretty gracious when he calls him mighty warrior. Gideon does not feel mighty. This is not the first time that God has called somebody by a name or given them an identity that they would not give themselves. You remember Abram's name was changed to Abraham 
meaning father of a multitude. And, they, and God changed his wife Sarai's name, princess, to Sarah, meaning mother of nations. This is an old couple who doesn't have a child. And then he changed Jacob, the grasper, to Israel. God prevails. And here in this story, the angel calls Gideon mighty warrior. When he's laying low, he's ducking down, trying not to be noticed by the enemy. May I ask you something? Are you doing small things in fear when God is calling you more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves you? That's mighty warrior talk. How about at work? How about at school? How about in your neighborhood? Are you just kind of keeping your faith in the shadows? And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. I need you to shine for me. What is the name that Jesus wants to speak over you today to remind you of your identity in Christ? Because he can see the places where you hide in fear, and he knows you don't belong there. The Apostle Paul agrees. He says in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. In Judges 6, Gideon does not have a sound mind because his mind is full of fear, primarily two large looming fears. The first one is, God isn't for me. Look at what he says in verse 13. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, didn't the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us. Gideon is ruled by fear-based thinking. He has just looked around him and seen what's been happening for seven years, and he comes to the conclusion, the Lord has abandoned us. Do you know where fear comes from? Oftentimes, false evidence appearing real. And Gideon sees this false evidence that God has abandoned us, but it's wrong in verses 9 and 10, God had already said, hey, I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and all your oppressors. I gave you their land, and I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. In other words, I don't want to listen to your whining because you got yourselves into this. I know for me personally if I start to, to believe that the Lord isn't with me, I am susceptible to fear. And fear brings with it this whole wagon load of anxiety and discouragement and doubt and worry because all we can think of are the, all the things that could go wrong. But look at what God says in verse 14. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? God's giving Gideon a big assignment here, but he gives him something even bigger to accomplish the task. He gives him himself. Am I not sending you? Gideon, I am opening the way before you. I'm, I'm actually going to do this thing, but I'm inviting you to come along for the ride. So come with me. I am with you. I am for you. And you know what? Gideon starts to think about this. He starts to consider that maybe this is true, but, oh yeah, there's this other large fear. 
that, he's, that is constantly plaguing him. God, I'm not sure you know, but I'm not enough. I'm the wrong guy for this job. I'm a loser. Look what he says in verse 15. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. Apparently, somebody had told him he's the least. Now, what they might have initially meant was that he's the youngest, because he was. But the term stuck to him like a stigma, because he's using it here as an excuse to not do what God's calling him to do. God says this in response. He just kind of brushes that whole excuse away. I will be with you, and I will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon, this is what you need to understand. The issue has never been if you're enough, because I'm enough, and I'm with you. Has anybody ever labeled you, and it stuck? Or they disapproved of you, and it just diminished you in some way? I know that I can't be the only person in the room who's ever been afraid of what other people think of you or thinking about the fact that I'm not enough. Gideon's fears are our fears too. At my home church in Lansing, Michigan, I have a label. I'm called the coaching champion, which is so goofy and I've tried to think of a new title, but I don't really care about it because I love the role. I get to match people in coaching relationships for one-on-one discipleship, for one person to help another person take their next step in following Jesus. That's super exciting. And I love it so much that I, I love inviting somebody to become a coach. Man, woman, young or old, whenever I invite them in, I get some of the same kinds of responses regularly. Things like, boy, I don't know the Bible well enough. Or... I'm not wise enough to be able to talk through things with somebody. Or, well, I don't know what you think of me, but I'm not really as much like Jesus as as I might appear. You know what's weaving through all of those excuses? The fear, I'm not enough. Well, here at River Glen, I understand that there is always an ongoing need for more life group leaders. And this this is the season for that. Maybe you've been part of a life group for a long time, and you love it. You gather with these people, you eat together, you grow together. It's fun. It's, it's wonderful. It's so encouraging. Have you considered the possibility that it might be time for you to lead a group? And I know if we were out in the hallway and I asked you that question, your response might be, if you were honest, ooh, I don't know if I'm enough. So I'm just going to throw that out there. And if the Lord is prompting you, take a step of faith. Go talk to Suvok and have the conversation. Gideon's fear, his two fears are our fears. God isn't for me. I'm not enough. And what we want to understand is how to make the switch from fear to faith. Personally, it would have been okay with me if Gideon had created a PowerPoint that gave us a step-by-step process, but he didn't do that. Instead, we have to look to the Word, and as we do, we see the three questions that Gideon has to answer in order to take that step. The first one is, who is God? Next, who am I in relation to Him? And then, how can I align my actions with these truths? So let's walk back through Gideon's story and see how he answered them. When we first meet him, who is God? Oh, 
He's the God who abandons me. Well, then, who am I in relation to him? I'm a fretful farmer threshing wheat down here in the wine press. But over, over the next several verses, 17 through 24, Gideon's perspective starts to change. As he's having this conversation with this guy under the oak tree, it becomes clear to him that this is no ordinary man. This is an angel of the Lord. And suddenly Gideon feels the need to worship. And so right then and there, he builds an altar and he names it, the Lord is peace. He's answering question number one in a different way as he's gaining more perspective about God. And if the Lord is peace and he said he's with me, then I can have peace. And all of a sudden, there's this transformation going on. Not only can I have peace myself, but I can become a mighty warrior to bring peace to my people. That's an amazing transformation. And so I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, this is something much greater than what I hear in the world. Because out there, I hear people saying, just think positive. Or, you know, oh, I wish that could happen for you. Wishful thinking, positive thinking is not enough. Blind faith isn't enough. A leap of faith is not enough. We need something much more solid than that. And God provides it. Faith is fully activating infinite truth here and now. Let me hear that, say that again. Faith is fully activating the infinite truth of God's word that's always been true. But now I'm going to apply it to my circumstance, to this day, to this fear. The battle of fear versus faith first takes place in our minds. And I really think that's what Paul is addressing when he says, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. In another letter to the Romans, in chapter 12, verse 2, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if your mind becomes filled with fear, you need to flush that out with truth and grow in your faith. In his book, Anxious for Nothing, author and pastor Max Lucado writes, the mind cannot at the same time be full of God and full of fear. And he later writes something that is so good for a visual learner like me. He says, we're supposed to be the air traffic controllers of our minds. These are his words. Thoughts circle above, coming and going. If one of them lands, it's because you gave it permission. If it leaves, it's because you directed it to do so. You select your thought pattern. That's your superpower. What does it look like for an everyday person? Maybe an everyday person like David, a shepherd boy, who started having um, quite a bit of enemy attack. And so in, in Psalm 56, verse 3, we see how he acts as air traffic controller of his own mind. He says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. And then down in verse 9, he makes a declaration. This I know, that God is for me. This I know that God is for me? That's the very thing Gideon is struggling to believe, but David declares it in the middle of an enemy attack. How is that possible? Well, David has walked with God for a long time, 
and he knows him. When he says, this I know, that word know means to learn to know or to come to know by experience. See, for me to know that God is for me, I have to know him through personal experience. For you to know that God is for you, you need to know him by personal experience. But how do we do that? Well, how did you get to know the person sitting beside you? Your spouse or a close friend or a life group member? You spend time together. You eat together. You laugh and you talk together. You work alongside each other. You go through hard things together. You celebrate victories together. That's how God wants us to get to know him. Spend your day with him. Invite him in. Let him lead. Talk to him throughout the day. That's prayer. Listen to him as well by spending time in his word, by spending time with other Christ followers. You will come to know his heart, and you'll find out that that is a heart of love for you, and it will help you gain confidence to have faith. Like David, Gideon begins to make this transformation from fear to faith, but it's a process for him. And so he asked God for some signs. He's not quite sure that he's really the man for the job. And God is so gracious to meet him and and accomplish those things for him. But then he says, okay, Gideon, now it's your turn. I have a couple couple tests for you as well. I see that you have amassed an army of 32,000 people. Good for you. But let's whittle it down a little bit. In fact, let's take it down to about 300. 300. The Midianite army has gathered out in the desert, 135,000 men and their camels waiting to spit. Gideon is down to 300 men, but I really think God is is laughing when he gives him 300 because he's thinking, well, I'm being pretty generous here because I could have said 30. I could have said three. In fact, how about just you and me? Tie my hands behind my back. Let's go do this thing. We can do this, you know? Gideon has to fully activate some infinite truth here and now on this battlefield. And he's in Hebrews 11 because he does. He sees the battle play out exactly as God said it would. Remember at the start, God said, go in the strength you have and save Israel from the Midianites. And that's what happens. In Judges 8.28, we read, Thus, Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its ugly, mean head again. During Gideon's lifetime, the land had peace for 40 years. Gideon chose faith over fear. And that allowed the the Lord of peace to bring peace to his people through his mighty warrior. Do you know a mighty Christ follower? Somebody who is so confident in who God is and in his love for them? This is what they look like. A valiant man of God fearlessly believes he is chosen. He is holy. He is a treasured son, redeemed and forgiven. And that's just Ephesians 1, infinite truth. A mighty woman of God will turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 and walk through her day reminding herself regularly, oh, I'm chosen. I am part of God's royal priesthood and his holy nation. In fact, he has called me out of my darkness into his wonderful light. And 
I don't have to be afraid today. In fact, because he's called me all those things, that's who I am. And I'm enough today. Hallelujah. But if that's not enough for me, personally, I go to Romans chapter 8. You heard it on the stage a little while ago. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Who tells you you're not enough? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at God's right hand and is also interceding for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he starts listing all our fears. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or danger or nakedness or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul says, he is of a sound mind, and we can be too. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any power, neither height of anxiety or depth of discouragement or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is fully activating infinite truth here and now. That's how we do it. By faith, Gideon activated that infinite truth. But he didn't do it by himself. He needed help. He needed the angel to remind him of who God is. And sometimes we need help too from a friend or a mentor. You know, about a month ago, Steve and I went to North Carolina to visit our dear friends. Had a wonderful time. But I could see while I was there that my friend is in a dark place, a crisis of faith, really concerned for her. Three weeks later, I got a text, a picture of my friend holding her first grandchild, a boy. And underneath, she, she texted, when I'm doubting God's goodness, remind me of this. She's asking me the same thing that I have to ask people from time to time. In the middle of a struggle, can you just remind me of who God is? Can you remind me of who I am in him? May I have the honors today? God is for you. And in Christ, you are enough for whatever he's called you to do. To be a man or woman in today's society, a husband, a wife, a parent of toddlers or teenagers, a college or high school student going into a difficult campus this fall, a professional, a server, whether you're a volunteer here at the church, maybe you're a leader in some capacity, my prayer is that as you spend time with the Lord, that you will come to know beyond the shadow of a doubt. He's our sovereign God, but he is also intimately acquainted with you. And he is working all things, even the things that we fear right now, 
together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose, including you. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Go. Go in the strength you have in Christ Jesus and do whatever he's calling you to do.